Chapter Ten of From Tangier to Tripoli by Frank G. Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In the heart of the Sahara, I am at Beni Unif in southwestern Algeria, in one of the wildest parts of the greatest desert on earth. On all sides of me, stretching to the west, south, and east for hundreds of miles, is the Sahara. It is so big that if you could lift up its sandy, rocky surface like a quilt and carry it across the Atlantic, it would cover every bit of the United States and hide a part of Canada and the Gulf of Mexico as well. It is longer than the Mediterranean Sea and larger than all Europe. In some places, it is 2,000 miles wide. Here at Beni Unif, I am more than 400 miles south of the port of Iran and about 1,200 miles from Timbuktu on the Niger, where the great fertile belt of north-central Africa begins. This little town is on the very edge of the French Sahara. Just west of it are wild, rocky mountains as bare as the asphalt of our American city streets, and as thirsty as was Devis when he begged Lazarus to cool his parched tongue. They mark the boundary between Algeria and Morocco. But the desert goes on farther westward, and on the southwest it does not stop until it reaches the Atlantic Ocean. I came here from Oran on the military railroad built by the French to guard their people in Algeria from the brigands of Morocco. Railway travel in northern Africa is far different from that of the United States. In comparison with us, these people are still a century or so behind the times. Express trains do not make more than 15 or 20 miles an hour, and the railroad clocks at the stations are purposely kept five minutes behind other timepieces in order that passengers may not get left. The methods of ticket selling and baggage checking are such that one must be at the train at least a quarter of an hour before starting. Once there, he will have to wait his turn with a crowd of Arabs, each of whom consumes at least two minutes at the ticket office and twice that time with the baggage master if the ticket is a return the agent figures out a reduction off the regular fare and makes a memorandum of the amount in a ledger as well as on the ticket itself the ordinary tickets are somewhat like ours but the returns and excursion certificates are the size of a legal document and quite as imposing everything must be weighed and only about 70 pounds of baggage are allowed free. There is a tax of two cents for checking, and the agent registers the weight whether it is below 70 pounds or not. The checks are not made of cardboard or brass, as in our country, but are merely receipts on a thin, tough paper so arranged that one half of each receipt can be given to the passenger while the other is doubled up and tied with a string to the baggage. Most of the natives carry their belongings in bags, not unlike coffee sacks, and much of the checked luggage is of that nature. At the stations, the poorer Arabs throw these bags over their shoulders and march off with them. First and second class passengers may take numerous valises and bundles into the cars. I am now traveling with nine packages, all of which go into the compartment with me. At every change, the porters take my stuff in and out for me, but at such low rates that the cost of handling is little. Four cents is a big enough fee for one man, and a single good husky Arab can carry all my baggage. 
the first and second class compartments are comfortable i can travel first class sometimes having a whole compartment for myself and my son the cars are divided into little box-like rooms by partitions running crosswise they are usually entered from the sides so that it is not possible to go through a whole train as in our country the seats are well cushioned and as the windows are large and clean we can get a fine view of the country as we go along the second and third class cars are divided up in the same way the second class being almost as good as the first the third class seats are bare board benches usually filled with arabs moors and kabyles with a sprinkling of soldiers the latter receive such small wages that they cannot travel in luxury some years ago dining cars were put on some of these algerian trains but many still stop at the stations for luncheon and dinner at every station there is a lunchroom called a bouvette the usual rate for dinner is about forty cents for which one gets an excellent meal with the customary quart bottle of white or red wine thrown in luncheons are often put up and brought to the cars at a cost of about fifty cents each for that one gets two slices of roast beef or half a chicken several boiled eggs and also cheese sweet cakes and fruit and of course the wine i have no recent figures of the railroad wages but they must be exceedingly low a crossroads depot which in our country would hardly be thought worthy of an agent requires half a dozen guards and the large stations proportionately more there are always a manager a baggage master a telegraph operator a ticket seller and a number of porters it takes half a dozen men to start a train the engineer blows the whistle one of the guards rings a bell and others run from car to car and shut the doors while they cry get on gentlemen if you please on the train itself there are many employees engineers firemen and brakemen in apparently excessive numbers every train has its mail clerk and its baggage man and often an express messenger as well we left oran in the afternoon and as the night fell were still in the fertile tell wrapping myself in my blanket with my camera under my head as a pillow i slept fitfully all night and awoke on the high plateau of the atlas mountains beyond which is the desert we were passing through a great plain of yellow sandy soil covered here and there with stones and spotted everywhere with bunches of dry alpha grass only in one direction were there any hills to be seen and they were bleak barren and rocky the alpha was growing right in the sands a long wiry grass which is gathered by the thousands of tons and shipped to europe for the making of paper it is cut by the arabs and handled by french companies that have an immense capital it grows in bunches some of them not bigger than one's fist while others sprout out of mounds that would fill a half bushel measure the clumps are about the height of my waist the grass looks tough and dry but nevertheless large flocks of white and brown sheep and black goats and camels feed upon it i saw such animals scattered over the plains each flock watched by a white-gowned shepherd who looked like a ghost as he stood among his stock in the early morning we passed many tent villages occupied by such shepherds and their families the tents are of a coarse black and white cloth woven in stripes they are so stretched out that one has to get down upon his knees and crawl in the cloth is made by the wives of the shepherds 
out of camel's hair and sheep's wool throughout the desert this is used for canvas leaving the atlas region we came into the sahara itself there was still some vegetation but it was only in patches here and there or along the banks of dried up streams now the land was flat and now it rose into rocky mountains which were black in the morning as i looked out over the plains i saw the sunrise first came a faint streak of yellow away off to the east which grew until it drew a sheet of light over the horizon a few minutes later a pale yellow sun could be seen through this veil as it rose the veil disappeared and a blazing white ball jumped out into the sky for a time a thin fleecy mist hovered over the sands but this soon gave way to the clear air of the desert as we kept on with our journey the sahara seemed always changing we passed for miles over bare rock almost as smooth as a floor and then through regions where the rocks were ragged and cut up into all sorts of shapes at times there were boulders and again small pebbles of different colors red brown and black here about beni unif the desert is largely limestone while farther south along the sufain river i passed through rolling dunes and plains covered with boulders the old descriptions represent the sahara as a dreary waste of barren sand as flat as the sea a vast wilderness where travelers must perish if they tried to go through it the real sahara has wide expanses of sand it has plains as big as a good-sized state of the union which are covered with stones but a great part of it is rolling it is largely a plateau broken by lofty mountains and cut up by watercourses called wadis which are dry the greater part of the year its average height above the sea is about as great as that of the blue ridge mountains of virginia though in many places it is as high as the alleghanies and higher in addition to its rolling character the desert offers other obstacles to railroad building one is the long stretches over which the track must go without available water another is the enormous cost of hauling the fuel while a third is the creeping sand dune the sand dunes are sometimes six hundred feet high rising from the desert in the shape of a crescent with its horns turned away from the winds the sand is rolled up by the wind from the bottom to the top each grain going over and over until it falls inside the crescent as this continues the dunes increase in size they move along slowly and if a railroad be in their way they will swallow it up i have seen similar dunes on the great peruvian desert at the foot of the andes and have been told that they are the chief obstacles to railroad building in that region these dunes grow solid and hard as the wind blows against them during my travels through them not far from beni unif i rode up them on horseback finding the sand almost as firm as that of a sea beach there are vast areas in the sahara which have no vegetation whatever but in many other parts there is grass during parts of the year grass grows everywhere on the edges of the desert and along the dried up watercourses the beds of which contain some moisture in many places there is a slight rainfall in certain months the smallest bit of water causes the grass to spring up and the arabs drive their flocks to such places to pasture where the grass will not grow there are sometimes thorn bushes which camels will eat along the railroad to the atlas mountains there is in places 
a thin growth of tough grass upon which thousands of animals feed strange to say the flocks are fat although it looks as though they were grazing upon the bare stones as i have said the road to beni unif was built for military purposes it is an absolute necessity for the french control of the sahara the depots are all of red sandstone one story in height with a stone wall about the roof and a high wall of stone surrounding the station yard at intervals of four feet all around these walls have portholes or slits three inches wide and a foot long through these openings rifles are thrust to defend the station in case of need in the roof are other portholes and both gate and windows are barred so that they can be securely fastened often a station consists of nothing but this fort-like building although there may be sometimes an oasis or a mud village nearby the stops at these places are not more than from three to five minutes unless the engine has to take on water the supply pipes eight inches in diameter are wrapped with straw to retard evaporation and from these the train boilers and tanks are filled at every good-sized station the coming of the trains is an event soldiers and officers gorgeously clad are there colonels and lieutenants in uniform soldiers with high red caps wide red belts blue or red jackets and full red or white pantaloons they are jaunty fellows and remind one of athos porthos and aramis the three musketeers of dumas novel guns are everywhere not only the soldiers carry them but all the arabs who come to the train and the baggage man the guards even the hotel clerk are armed beni unif is within almost a stone's throw of the moroccan boundary and at the gate of a pass through the mountains that separate it from algeria the brigands of these parts of morocco still make raids upon the oases and attack travelers and caravans going to and fro over the desert one base of such expeditions is the oasis of tafelilt not far from here where are some of the worst scoundrels of this part of the world these expeditions are known as barkas they are often composed of hundreds and even thousands of animals and men one which came through here some years ago had about four thousand men mounted on camels and a barca of five hundred camels is not uncommon it was a barca like this that brought about the battle of fagig named after an oasis about eight miles from beni unif where it took place fagig is one of the richest settlements of eastern morocco it has about a million date trees and its people have always been noted for their prosperity and trade they are also famous as haters of christians and until lately it was death to any christian to enter their oases at a time when the railroad had not yet reached this point the governor-general of algeria made an expedition from the end of the road then at duvivier to beni unif and thence to fagig he was accompanied by a detachment of spabis the bravest of these african soldiers and three companies of the foreign legion under the command of general o'connor it was then well known that a christian who went into fagig did so at the risk of his life and one of the arab officials of the town warned the governor-general that he had better keep out he did not heed the warning and the result was a fight which lasted five hours after which the french retreated this battle was entirely with rifles on both sides 
and after their victory the moors thought they were equal to anything the french could bring against them a day or so later the foreign legion and three squadrons of cavalry appeared their force altogether numbering forty five hundred they brought with them some mountain guns and other cannon and placing these more than a mile away opened fire with melanite shells upon the oasis and its villages the result astounded the natives their mud brick houses were blown to atoms and the minarets of their mosques cut in two the moors who had never heard or seen anything like this soon came almost on their knees to beg the french to desist since then the railroad has been extended to beni unif and beyond and a thriving settlement has grown up here at the gate to the pass the french have made the whole region peaceful so that it is possible to travel almost anywhere through it french troops are stationed at every large oasis while camel soldiers scour the country and heliograph the least sign of disturbance these camel police are natives mounted on mabaris beasts which can go one hundred miles day after day without tiring many of the camel police are Touaregs, who find it pays better to be employed by the french than to rob the caravans as they did in the past others are targhees from a warlike tribe in the eastern part of the algerian sahara these mabari troops patrol the country act as scouts for the french officers and are ready to fight bravely in time of trouble a large number of them watch the pass at beni unif patrolling at wide distances apart they bring in reports of the conditions existing all along the desert frontier the french have established also a mail service for the sahara the arab postmen carry mail bags on their fast mabaris every military station is thus served and in some places such as colombe bekar and adrar there are post offices where money orders are issued and a regular mail service is supplied here at beni unif is a branch of the foreign legion made up of adventurers and homeless and friendless men of all nationalities there are also several companies of military criminals who have been deported from france and sent down from other parts of algeria for punishment these men are put to making roads and bridges and doing all kinds of hard labor i met one of the legion last night in a moorish cafe who told me he was an american his complexion was that of a mulatto but as he wore the red trousers blue jacket and tall red cap of the spahi i took him for an arab i was drinking coffee at one of the tables when sitting down beside me he began to speak english he told me he came from san francisco that he had served as a marine in the french navy and had finally drifted into the army he said that the food and treatment were so bad that he could not stand it and that his pay was only one cent a day finally he deserted and succeeded in getting to the mediterranean where he had hidden himself away in the hold of a german steamer just as the ship was raising anchor the military police came on board and discovered him through a hindu cabin boy who pointed out his hiding place he was then put in prison at the port of namur where the sheriff set him to cleaning his horses one day taking the best horse in the stable he rode across into spanish morocco to melilla there he again tried to get off this time on a spanish ship he was caught once more however and shipped down here into the heart of the sahara he is expecting to be sent on into the desert far from the railroad
of all the arabs employed by the french the Touaregs are doing the best work they are organized into companies equipped with good modern guns they have practically abandoned brigandage and now mounted on camels they sweep over the desert aiding the french to keep the natives in order the french captain who is chief of the arab bureau here tells me that the Touaregs are by no means a bad people their bloodthirstiness being largely a matter of imagination it is true that they have been robbers in the past but now that they are employed by the government they make splendid soldiers they are paid from twenty to twenty four dollars a month which is a fortune to them each man owns his own camel and takes care of it and of himself but as the food for both man and beast costs practically nothing he considers himself rich these Touaregs are descendants of the berber or white race of the atlas mountains who have been crowded off into the desert they once lived in the heart of the sands so far south of the mediterranean that most of them had never seen it although for centuries they controlled all communication between it and the sudan they have long been noted as the robbers of the sahara they are tall slender and wiry in figure with regular features and swarthy skins they are especially distinguished by the fact that they wear veils night and day their veils are usually white but sometimes black or blue they wind them about their heads like a turban passing them over the nose and mouth and across the forehead so that only the eyes can be seen a well-bred Touareg never takes off his veil either to eat or to sleep this strange habit makes the french call them the mask pirates of the sahara it is said that the veil was originally adopted to keep out the dust but that it is now a mark of fashion and modesty another story told me is that the Torg men first put on veils from shame over a piece of cowardice they were surprised by their enemies and were so frightened that they threw down their arms and ran leaving their families thereupon the women picked up the swords spears and daggers and defeated the enemy from that day until now the men to show their admiration for the conduct of their wives have adopted the veil while the toreg women still go with uncovered faces the toreg woman wears a long roll of cotton stuff wrapped around the body a pair of cotton trousers and a head shawl she is fond of trinkets to hang about her neck and it is said that an old sardine can is a suitable gift for an admirer to bestow on a toreg lady the standard of beauty is fatness and the only cruel custom among them is forcing the girls to drink great bowls of curdled milk to make them stout and therefore handsome the women are said to be cultivated in their own way even to the extent of writing poetry and they are very sociable among themselves many of the toregs live in tent villages moving about from place to place they own camels and sheep and some of them have gardens as a general thing they are miserably poor the money received by those in the french service being far more than most of them made when their sole profession was robbing travelers crossing the desert end of chapter ten